0: Somebody asked me, is the same thing true of the Christian community? And I said, no, the Christian community is a unique body of people. Now think about this. We're all from different places. We have different temperaments, different skills, different abilities. Uh, I could never be a DJ. And somebody else could never be a pastor, speaker, or a musician or a singer like my wife. Everybody has that unique set of skills. But there's something that ties us all together. If you think about it, even though we are diverse, everybody in this room who has claimed Jesus Christ as Savior, we are connected to each other, not just by being in the same church or living in the same town. We are connected by our love for Christ and our mutual care for each other. Now, there are four connections I want to talk about today, four ways that all Christians are connected to each other, and they're found right here in the book of Romans, Chapter 15. Guys, we are almost done with Romans. We are in Romans 15 today. Open your Bibles. Get there to the book of Romans. We only have one more chapter next week, and we are ready to step away from the book of Romans and step into a new world. Step into a world where we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare will take us everywhere from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. We will look at all of the different situations where the Word of God tells us that we are in conflict with powers that are other than human. If we look at that spiritual warfare concept, it's very long, it's very exhaustive, but it will help you understand some of the issues you go through, some of the things that happen in your life. Spiritual attack is a real thing. Believe me. Spiritual warfare is very, very real. We're going to be talking about that as soon as we wrap up with Romans 16 next week. But for today, I want to look at those four connections again. Four connections that all Christians enjoy with each other. Irregardless of where you come from, what your background is, we are all the same in this. Romans 15.1 We all support each other. Amen? We support each other. 15.1 We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves alone. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build them up. Now understand that. We work with each other. We talked last week about not being a stumbling block, not getting in someone's way of progress. Yes, I have freedoms. Yes, I am a mature Christian. Yes, I understand so many things. But when a brand new believer comes in, sometimes they don't quite get everything. So sometimes we have to bear with or accommodate those weaknesses that we see in younger people, younger Christians. He says each of us should not please our each of us should please our neighbor for his good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Jesus told them, People will hate you because they hate me. They will despise you because you claim me as Lord and Savior. Sometimes people will reject you because you bear the name Christian. I know people who will not wear a cross. They will not wear any symbol of Christianity because they don't want to be singled out as different. Now, there's a problem in that, but that's not what we're dealing with today. What we are dealing with today is this. Those people who are out there will insult you because you are a Christian. It's how you bear with it that matters. It says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. You don't love your teachers. You need to read this to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We have hope not in our situation, but in where we are going in Jesus Christ. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Stop and think about this. What were you like when you came to Jesus Christ? Now, you know, the gospel does not say You have to first get straight, get sober, get wise, learn the Bible, and and go to church. Then God will accept you. It doesn't say that, does it? Just say, no, it doesn't. You should know better than this. The Bible says what? The very first movement of God is to bring you to salvation in Jesus Christ. You don't have to get clean, get straight. You don't have to stop doing this and stop doing this and start doing this and start doing that. You don't have to do that to be accepted. That comes later. Once you build that relationship with Jesus Christ, he will naturally form you into a vessel that he can use. The the folding or the molding process of a Christian is is a lifetime process. It happens over your whole life. You don't get it all right the first day or the first year or the first decade. I've been following Jesus since 1980, and I still don't have it all right. You know what I mean? You may be a Christian 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you're still not the person you want to be because you're still a work in progress. I once saw a guy about 400 pounds wearing a t shirt that said, Don't judge me, I'm a work in progress. And I said, Amen. I understand that completely. You know, his guy was saying, Hey, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm on the way. Same thing's true of Christians. We go to church every Sunday. We open up the Word of God. We are not where we want to be. We don't have the right mindset, the right attitude. We're not perfect in everything that we do. But we are a work in progress, and we accept that from each other. That's why it says you have to accept one another. He goes on to say this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. He came to preach the gospel to the Jewish people so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. All the way back in Isaiah, it says a light has shined in the darkness and it shined on the Gentiles. You see, the Jews thought they were the top of the pecking order. They thought we've got a relationship with God. Nobody else does. We're perfect. They're not. They missed the whole point of Isaiah. God's love is extended to everyone. The Jews got a head start. They got a leap forward by having the law, by understanding Mount Sinai, what happened there, what God did when he set them free. You have been in church how long? Add it up in your head. A year? Five years? Ten years? 50 years? How long have you been in the house of God? And that's how much time you've been spending on it. But there's people who come along and within a year of being saved, they seem to know more. They seem to get more of the picture. Why is that? Hunger. Sometimes we are in church so long, we become satiated. We become satisfied with what we have and that hunger to grow disappears. He said this right here. So he has come to the Gentiles that they might give God glory. Remember, all of God's creation is not to amuse you. All of God's creation is not to make you happy. His creation is to give him glory as the creator. You ever go camping and wake up at five o'clock in the morning and the bugs are making their sound and my mom used to get up right at the crack of doom and make bacon in an iron skillet. And there's nothing better in the morning than waking up, camping, bacon in the pan, some eggs in there. Yes, that is just a good life right there. The thing is, you wake up, though, you look out over that lake, and you know that God is good, and you know that God is powerful, and that God is a master painter. He's a master designer. When you're out in nature, it shouldn't be how great I am, but how great he is. Remember, we just sang it, take my life, and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. That's what mornings are about, re-consecration of ourselves. And he says this So that moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with these people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. That's Jesus, by the way, in case y'all missed that one. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule the nations. In him, the Gentiles will what? hope. Jesus came to give hope to the Gentiles. They were outcasts. They were cut off from the people of God because they were following pagan ways and pagan rituals. But Jesus came to them by Galilee of the Gentiles, by that way by the sea, to bring them back to the God who desired to have them in a relationship again. God wasn't satisfied with just the Jews. He wanted all people to come again. Just like there are some churches that think they are the end all be all of creation. Well, we've got 15,000 members, and we've got 80 people on the worship team, and we got a full orchestra. Okay, does that mean God is content with your church? No. God desires all men and women to be saved. It can't end with your church. It has to go beyond into the whole world. So the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule all the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. Notice how that works? You get the joy and the peace when? When you trust him. This is a sad thing that says when something happens in our life, the first thing we do is go to a professional. If I'm sick, I go to a doctor. If I'm, if I'm not feeling happy, I go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. If uh, there's something wrong with this or that or the other thing, we consult professionals. When all else fails, what do we do? Pray. Why? We've exhausted everything else. Doesn't that kind of seem backwards to you? Shouldn't we start with prayer? Shouldn't we start by bringing it to God's attention? Lord, there's something wrong in my marriage. Lord, there's something wrong with my children. They're not as happy as they used to be. Lord, there's something wrong in my job. They're asking me to do things that I think are morally wrong. Shouldn't we start with prayer and then move to all of those other people who can help us get things done? I think it's our mindset. Our mindset is we need God after we're dead, but not when we're alive. I heard a guy actually say that. He said, you know what? I've got God for after I'm dead. For right now, I've got, and he started to list all the things he had. That man was an idiot. You don't have God for after you're dead. Your relationship with God starts the minute you're saved. I got news for you. You ask a woman to marry you, that's where it starts, right there. Not after you say, I do, because you already did Once you say, will you marry me, he slips that that ring on that finger. Honey, that's where it starts. The problem we have in America today is a lot of guys think that from engagement to marriage, they've got this free zone they can play with. They can go out and do whatever and kind of feel it out. No. Once you start that movement, it's done. It's a done deal. Can I get an amen from every man who's happily married and wants to go home today? There we go. It is Father's Day, but let's not forget. while Father is the head of the house. The wife is the neck that turns the head. Can I get an amen to that one now? Just to make sure y'all want to go home. Here we go. He says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's no joy in your life, if there's no hope in your life, if there's no peace in your life, you ain't got Jesus. Or you're temporarily estranged. Or you're temporarily separated. If you have things going wrong in your life, first thing you ought to check is not your pulse, it's not your blood pressure. The first thing you should check is your walk with God, that you are trusting, that you are pressing in, that you are looking at him as the answer to all that. What is it that we do? For, we support each other by pointing people back to God. You know, if people say, and, and you of each, you can't, you can't, you know, testify about Jesus all day long. Well, not officially. But when I see someone that I know is a Christian, I say, hey, man, remember, God loves you. And they go, I needed to hear that today. You know what? Every time you speak the name of Jesus, you are encouraging someone else who is a Christian. Did you know that? If nobody ever speaks the name of Jesus, all the Jesus people start feeling forsaken. Think about it. What would happen every day if you spoke the name of Jesus as an encouragement to every person who says they are a Christian? They might start thinking that they got some encouragement. They might start thinking they're not alone. They might start thinking that there's somebody else who believes like they believe. Problem in America is Christians are few and far between, few and far between, and we keep leaving them out there by themselves. I think that's a problem that I see on my campus. I don't know if it's true on yours or not. But let's keep looking. Four connections that we enjoy as Christians. One, we support one another because God first supported us. Second one, we need to serve one another. Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He is not talking to pastors. He is talking to... To Christians, all Christians, all believers, answer this question. Do you believe you are filled with the goodness of Jesus Christ? Don't answer out loud. I don't need to know. Only you need to know the answer to that one. Are you filled with the knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ? Are you filled with the knowledge of what God is doing in your life? If the answer is yes, you're good. If the answer is no, you, you might want to reinvestigate that one just a little bit. Are you competent to instruct one another? If you got saved, you can teach someone how to get saved. If you know how to pray, you can teach someone how to pray. How? Pray with them. Let them see you pray. It's Father's Day. The greatest gift any father can give his children is to show them his faith. Everyone expects mom to have faith. Here's the problem in America. We got too many women with faith and not enough men with faith. Not enough men who will say, I bow, I pray, I seek God's face. I seek his assurance. I seek his wisdom. If fathers show dependence on God, it will teach it to their children. If you teach your children to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you may have missed the mark just a little bit. If you teach your children absolute dependence on the word of God, you have done a good thing. If you teach them, they only have to go look at it once a week or month or year or twice a year, depending if you're an EC Christian, that's Easter, Christmas, Easter, Christmas. Yeah, EC Christian. you teach them that, you have jacked them over. You have messed up your children. If your children do not know that dependence on God is a daily thing, You have dropped the football, y'all, and you are in enemy territory. I'm just saying. Think about this way. It says you are full of goodness and kindness. This goodness and kindness can be the word benevolence. Doing what is best for someone, doing what is best for them. And it says down here, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. If your child is laying around the house all day long doing not a blessed thing, Don't you encourage them with a a boot up the six? Boom, a little bit of encouragement to get up, get out, get moving, do something. We have children that can sit for 14 to 16 hours and play a video game, but don't know how to sweep a rug, don't know how to muck out a stall for a horse. They don't know how to do day-to-day work. Why, we never taught them. That's our fault. We didn't teach them. We did not admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Some people are afraid to show their faith because they don't think they know enough. We need to encourage the faint-hearted. Hey, share what you know. You may not know much, but if you know Jesus, you it's a good place to start. Amen. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. If somebody is struggling in their faith, struggling to find answers, give them answers. Don't say call the pastor. Heck, I'm not there most of the time. I'm at work. You can't find the answer to every question in the word of God, and it's up to you to do it. See, he's writing to people again. Get out there, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. That's the big one, y'all. Be patient. Being a Christian is something that you grow into as the decades go by, amen? We have to keep encouraging them, keep bearing with them, keep lifting them up, This is how we as fathers shape the world. We admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everybody, and let your children see you do it. Faith is taught by the observation of our children. They see us. Our children will never do what we say, but they will always do what we do. Amen? Think about this now. Your children will never do what you say, until they see you do what you say. Talked to a dad once. He says, uh, Can you come pick up my kid for church? Sure, no problem. I had, we had a bus ministry back in the day. He says, uh, I said, uh, You want to come with us? He says, Oh, no. Church is for children. I said, Oh, it's for children. Yeah, they need to learn that stuff when they're little. And then when they grow up, uh, they'll, they'll learn the more important stuff. You ever just want to reach out and Give someone a good shake and go, have you lost your mind? You just want us to take your children away and in one hour a week, you want us to undo all the damage you do six and a half days a week by your, by your, by your living testimony. How does that work? If it's not important to you, it's never going to be important to them. If a relationship with Christ is not vital to you, it will never be vital to them. They will act towards God exactly the way you act toward God. They will put him in whatever place you put him in, because that's how kids learn. They do what we do, not what we say. And that should tell you what's wrong with America today. I'm just saying. Serving one another comes down to this, verse 15. Yet I have written, and quite boldly on some points, to remind you and them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul was sent to the Gentiles, not the Jews. Who went to the Jews, by the way? Peter went to the Jews. But Peter also went to the Gentiles. Do you know that there were disciples that went out into the world who were martyred within years of going out there? Names we don't even think about. Activities we've never heard about. But they went out and they were faithful to what God called them to do. Do You know what happened to Thomas, the doubter? You know what happened to Thomas? He went to a place called India. He took the military roads that the Romans built and he went to India and he preached Jesus and they murdered him. That's what happened to Thomas. No big elaborate story, no churches named after him, no great big books written by Thomas. He just went and did what God said, got himself killed in the service of Jesus Christ. And believe me, his death affected many. Go to India today. Go to the city where he was murdered, and there is a monument to him, not because he had a massive impact then, but because he lit a flame, and that flame grew and brought the truth of Christianity to India. Think about it. He didn't just talk about it. He went and did it. He did that work. So he says, you know, I write to you quite boldly, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me this priestly duty to proclaim the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I am proud to be a person reaching out to the Gentiles whom all of my people have rejected, but whom God has accepted. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God and by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God so that Jerusalem all the way through Iconium I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I have always been, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. He didn't want to be a pastor who came to believers and taught them and, and worked with them and developed them. No, he went to places where the name of Jesus was unknown and he made it known. Paul would only stay in the city one or perhaps two years. He would then give the church to someone who would continue the work and he would keep going into the unknown lands. If he had stayed in any of the cities, any of the big Greek cities where he built churches, he could have had a massive church, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 people. He could have been the pastor of this church. He didn't do that. He went, made Jesus known, trained up the people, gave it to them and moved on. It was no big monument, no big house, no mansion for Paul. That's why he winds up in the Marmitine prison. He winds up where the criminals were. He winds up dying under a Roman blade because he was faithful to what God called him to do. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see him. God promised that the Gentiles would see us all the way back in Isaiah. And those who have not heard will understand. He's talked about this earlier in the book of Romans. The people who had not sought God found him through the testimony of people who brought it to them. This is why I have have often been hindered from coming to you. He wanted to go to see the, the Romans. He wanted to go to Rome and see these people and to testify to them. He's told them that before in the book. But he didn't have a chance to go. Why? Because God knew Paul's heart was to go here, but he needed Paul to go there. Sometimes God's plans for us are not our plans. But let me ask you which plan is better? Mine for my own aggrandizement, mine for my own pleasure, mine for my own advance, or the plan that God lays out for me that allows me to die in obscurity? In India, in a small city where my body will lay for decades before anybody realizes who I was or the message I brought. See, it kills me. I I knew a guy once from India and he told me about the city where Thomas was laid. And and at first they just they just killed him because he was he was a heretic to them. And he lay there unhallowed, unrespected, until somebody figured out who he was. And that little flame he brought to India turned into a fire that could not be stopped. See, he never knew the impact he had. None of us do. Dads, you don't know the impacts that you have on your children's lives. You don't know what you start, what you begin, what you teach. I may not ever understand any impact of anything I've ever done under the title of pastor, but I trust that God will get the glory for it. Amen? That's all I have to know. God's going to get the glory for anything I ever did right or, you know, right. That's the way it should be for us as fathers. We die. We sacrifice ourselves, our desires, our wants, our needs to take care of that family God's given us. It's not about me. It's about the work God has given me to do as a dad, as a father, as a husband. That's what's important. But keep going keep going. So we support one another. We serve one another. Third thing I want you to see is this. We share with one another. He goes right here and says this. Romans 15, 23. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. I've done all my work. I'm done here. I finished it. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do this when I go to Spain. So Paul's planning on going to go to Spain. And while he's there, he can clip over see the Romans. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So I'm going to come there. I'm going to enjoy my time with you. But I'm going to get a little help from you, too, because I have to keep going. Remember, Paul had nothing. Paul had no houses. He had no wealth. He had no, no money. He could only do what he did because he was assisted by the churches to continue doing what God called him to do. That's what an itinerant minister is. No home no possessions, just the continued work of sharing Jesus Christ. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For in Macedonia and Achaia, they were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were persecuted. They had lost their homes. They had lost their places in the sanctuary, in the um, synagogues. They had lost their families. Um, Basically, if you became a Christian in Jerusalem, you were disowned, you were thrown out, you were as good as dead to your family. Nobody would help you ever again. So those who became Christians lost everything. So as Paul went, he would say, hey, the Christians in Jerusalem who began this, they're suffering. Can you help them? Can you send something? There's a reason we give money to the whole mission fund to the International Mission Fund, to disaster relief funds. We give money to that so that people who are in need can be assisted. He says, They were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them because it is from them that the word of Christ came. For if the Gentiles had shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. They shared us with; they shared Christ with us, So we share what we have to support them as they are suffering. So after I have completed this task and uh, made sure that they have received this contribution, one, so that I I will then go to Spain to visit you on that way. That's that second thing he wants to do. I'm going to make sure the task is done for them, discharge my responsibilities. Then I'm going to come see you because I want to be an encouragement to you. I know that when I come see you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I'm going to bring everything with me when I come he's getting them excited, that he's going to come talk to them, he's going to come share with them, and that they will see him, and he will bring everything he has with them. Are you a blessing to everybody you know? Do you bring Christ Everywhere you go, do you bring it to work? Do you bring it to family gatherings? Do you bring it to any lodge meetings you might be a part of? Do you bring it to school? Do you bring it to the relationships you have with your friend? You are a living blessing. Do you understand that? You are a living representative of Jesus Christ. Do people receive him when they receive you? Do they even know they are receiving Christ when they receive you? See, that's that's the thing. We Christians carry the most infectious disease this world has ever known. Oh, you got monkey pox out there, and you got COVID and you got other diseases and stuff. But the one most contagious disease in the world is only carried by Christians, and it is hope. Look at the news. Show me where there's any hope anywhere in this country. This was once a great, mighty, powerful country. We were once a missionary sending machine. What are we now? We're a country where we're killing each other. We're slaughtering each other. We hate each other. We're divided by everything that's out there from what color your skin is to what party you have to, do you have guns or do you not have guns, and all the stupidness that we are obsessed with in this country and we have forgotten the one thing we need, the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I lived in a city in Montana that was never touched by the Great Awakening. In the 1900s, there was a spiritual revival on the east coast of the United States, and they sent missionaries out all over the world, and they sent them all over the country to re-preach Jesus Christ. And everywhere those people went, Revival broke out, prayer broke out, churches exploded until they came to my little city in Dillon, Montana. When they got there, the pastor came and there were only two things in the in the town, two things in that whole town. I think there were 23 whorehouses and 23 bars. They were always connected, of course. When that pastor came to that town, they caught him tarred him, feathered him, and rode him out of town on a rail. The revival that hit America never came to that little cowboy town. Why? Because they did not want it. They rejected everything that came from Jesus Christ. When we were there, our schools had 23 times the national suicide rate. 23 times the national suicide rate. Why? There was no hope in that town. Arrogance? Yes. Self dependence? Yes. Bravado? Yes. Hope? No. They had no hope because they did not have Jesus Christ. And people would talk about everything except that hope. And I think that's the one thing America needs today. We need to return to our faith and our absolute dependence on God. If we don't come back to that, I don't know how much longer we can, obs- we can exist as a country. I mean, we're already changing into something I don't recognize. I'm old. I've been around for a while. This country, I don't recognize it anymore. I don't recognize the way people act or the way they talk or the behaviors I see. I don't understand it. I mean, I'm an old guy and I'm confused. That's life. But something has happened in America. We have fundamentally lost our hope because we have lost Jesus Christ. Last thing I want you to see is this, Romans 15 30. The one thing that we share is that we struggle for Christ together. We struggle with one another, not against one another. We struggle with one another. Romans 15 and 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me, praying that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contributions I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will And in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. See, Paul called them to struggle in prayer. Interesting. You're going to love this word. This is your Greek lesson of the year. Soon agonomazai. Soon agonomazai. Where we get the English word agony. He said, We struggle. Colossians 4.12 says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, agonomazai, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. Who have you agonized over in your life? Who have you come to God in agony of soul praying that God would do something powerful. I I looked at this word and I went, wow, there it is. Do we agonize over our country? Do we agonize over our families, our friends, our, our broken relationships, our broken communities? Are we just like, oh, that's just so sad. Okay, let's go on with life. That's not agony of spirit. Agony of spirit is, my God, what has happened to us? How have we become so cold, so distant, so angry, so frustrated? How has that happened? We cannot save this country. We cannot. But God can by a movement of his spirit. How do we be part of that? How can we be part of what God is doing? Because we bring hope. Someone says, how do you feel about America? I feel if America would turn back to God, there would be hope. While you believe in God, I believe in the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who is revealed in the scriptures. That's who I believe in. I don't believe in goodness, grace, mercy, imagining anything. Thank you, John Lennon. I don't imagine that world that he conjured up. A world where there's no heaven, no hell, no God. If you have no God, you have no hope. You can't have hope without the God who is the source of all hope. Amen? Do you see what I mean? As we wrap up, Romans 15, you are connected to all believers in this. We pray for each other. We support each other. We agonize for each other. But also, too, we are a voice in the wilderness crying Make straight the way of the Lord. We have become the John the Baptist of our generation. We cry out to our friends who are 13, who are 16, and we say to them, now is the time to be saved. This is the acceptable hour, and you have to come to God on God's terms. Stanley said it best. God never hears the prayer of a pagan until they accept his son. God may hear words. He may hear shouts. In the Old Testament, God said, I heard all of these endless prayers, all of this stuff going on in my temple. But until someone cried out in faith, there was no answer for them because there was no faith to work on. We're we're finishing up Romans. One more chapter and we're done. But this is preparing us to talk about spiritual warfare. It's preparing us for what's to come later. I think we're coming to a time in our country when spiritual warfare is going to be day-to-day business. It's going to be how we live and how we cope with every minute of every day of the rest of our lives. Let's pray.